Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Flex's Fight Stance. It's been some time. I apologize. It's been a while. I've been busy, and I want to talk about that. Instead of getting right into some of these fight cards, which I am very excited to do, I want to talk a little bit about myself. You know, I fly a lot for a living, and I am flying out to L.A. today, so I do not have time to record a long podcast. I'll only have enough time to do maybe... 25 30 minutes and I want to touch on the cards though firstly I want to talk about my schedule lately you know JC and I record usually once a month he lives in Maryland and I live in California and I have to fly out every time anytime you hear the fight stance podcast I fly all the way from California to Maryland and we record usually that same day and uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, and I do it because I love it. I do it because I love the sport. I do it because I love the back-and-forth banter, you know. JC and I have been best friends for quite some time, as I'm sure you can tell listening to us. And uh, he's my best fucking friend, man. And I love talking to him. I love talking to him about MMA and life in general. And uh, him and I have been busy lately. You know, he's a family man. And uh, he's got a lot going on with his family, so he's been trying to keep up with everybody on Twitter and the MMA community, trying to keep up and watch all the fights between UFC, Bellator, 1FC, Ryzen, uh, PFL. It's a full-time gig, as I'm sure a lot of you know, and you know we're trying to balance it all out. And in order for you guys to get to know us a little better, instead of just going in here and listing off the results of the cards or our predictions for future cards... You know, I want you guys to get to know us a little bit. And myself, personally, you know, I am a man who is always on the move. I am always going state to state, and I fly for a living. I work in aviation. I do uh, in-flight safety and security, and it's tough. It's really tough. You know, for example, right now I'm in Newark, and in about, I don't know, eight hours or so, I'll be in LA. Uh, I fly out in a few hours to LA. Uh, then I'll be there for a little while and then I'll be in San Francisco. I mean, it never ends for me. And uh, JC and I have different careers, though we are both equally as busy, him more so because he has a wife and a child. Uh, I'm a single man uh, living a very interesting <laughs> single life. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have that wife at home, not yet. I just, uh, I, I dedicate myself to my work, and I work often. So for me to have this 20 minutes, 25 minutes to record this podcast is a big deal for me, you know, in order to be comfortable and, and be set up in a quiet place where I don't have to worry about interruptions is uh, something that excites me. And... I love it. I fucking love mixed martial arts. You know, I grew up watching football, basketball. Uh, I grew up playing football and basketball. And I really never missed a game of... Uh, I never missed Sunday night football growing up. I, I never uh, would miss NBA playoffs, especially when the Celtics were playing. You know, Ray Allen was always one of my favorite players. Uh I never missed a fucking Ravens game, you know, ironically, James and I, uh, 
both grew up in uh, in South Jersey, and you know he lives in Maryland now. So you would maybe picture him a Ravens fan. Though myself personally, uh, I've always been the Ravens fan. He's more of an Eagles fan, and uh, you know. One thing that I really, really, really love about mixed martial arts is that the passion is always there, you know? I don't have to wait until regular season, preseason, playoffs to get excited about mixed martial arts. It's year-round. It's 24-7, 365, and I'm passionate about damn near every fight, uh, except for, you know, CM Punk or some bullshit, though... I love the fucking sport. I love mixed martial arts. I love everything that goes into it, you know? I, I watch fighters. I want to get right into uh, UFC Calgary a little bit. I watch fighters like Dustin Poirier move up in the rankings, and I'm so astonished by how much he has grown. You know, that to me is more exciting than the Ravens making the playoffs or you know, uh, uh, an upset in uh, the NBA Finals, you know, watching one man defeat uh, another man who is a, a legend in their sport, you know, somebody like Eddie Alvarez, who I don't discount. Eddie Alvarez might have uh, his cheating ways. He might have a, uh, a chip on his shoulder from the last fight that they had. Though Dustin Poirier defeating him is is no easy task, and honestly, man, I, hats off to both of them. Though to be honest, the diamond is is he shines bright. You know, I, I don't want to uh, play too much on his nickname or anything. Though the diamond shines from many angles, and I mean that sincerely. You know, Dustin Poirier has improved his game so much. He talks about his wrestling and his jujitsu. He showed it in his wrestling defense, of course, and um, he showed it in what he was almost able to secure uh, against Eddie Alvarez in uh, those guillotine attempts. Though we didn't get to see the full uh, stretch of his skill set on the ground because his striking was so fucking good. And go on my Twitter, Fight Stance Flex. Go on my Twitter. I've been talking about the potential for Dustin Poirier being champ for a long time. I'm not this I'm not some bandwagon guy that's jumping on and saying, "Oh, Dustin Poirier is going to be champ. He's going to be champ." Fuck that. Dustin Poirier has had championship potential since he lost to Connor. Since he lost to Connor, he learned something that night. And he might have got clipped by Michael Johnson. He might have lost that fight, though honestly, the big turnaround was after losing to Connor because even though he lost to Michael Johnson he still showed improvement and he still showed that he evolved and moving to lightweight for me personally was the key as soon as he moved to lightweight I knew this kid's no fucking joke he's gonna be champ one day and like I said go on my Twitter uh, go on my Twitter anyway just to check it out uh, go ahead and follow me I'll follow you back uh, also follow Fight Stance Podcast at Fight Stance Pod P-O-D and uh, follow my co-host Fight Stance JC. Um, though, yeah, go on my Twitter and check it out. I've been hyping this guy up for the right reasons for a long time now. And uh, let's just get right into this UFC Calgary card. I know I'm late. I know it's been a week, though I've been very busy. I was in San Diego. I'm buying a house out there. I got a lot going on, so 
bear with me here. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into the prelims. There's not really anybody on there I want to talk about anyway. So let's actually, you know what? There is somebody I want to talk about really quick. Makachev. I don't know what sort of laboratory they have in Dagestan, though they are literally creating killers over there. I mean, obviously you got the king, the leader of the bunch, the 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 gangster, the the KGB straight assassin Khabib Nurmagomedov, and and then you got Zabit, and you got this killer Islam Makachev. I mean. Dagestan is breeding some fucking murderers out there, and they might they might take over. I mean, Makachev fights at lightweight, so he's in Khabib's division. He'll have to move up or move down uh, in order to obtain a belt. He's obviously not going to try to take Khabib's belt if Khabib makes it through Connor uh, and Makachev continues to go up the rankings. Uh, though these guys, man, the Sambo background and what they're able to do is just so fucking impressive. I mean, look at that submission. You know, Khabib talked about uh, Makachev not getting performance of the night. You know, look at that submission. I mean, who's pulling off submissions like that? This Makachev guy is one to look out for. He's fucking terrifying. Also, 15-1. and one. Do these guys ever lose? I mean, Khabib's 26-0. and 0. This guy is 15-1. and one. Uh, I believe Zabit might have one loss on his record. Uh, I'll look into that, though. These guys, they, they, they seemingly cannot be beaten. And I really don't know how the UFC is going to promote them. Obviously, with Khabib at the helm, they'll have no choice. And it's good for them because the UFC wants to get into that European market. And they're not really going to spread too much over to uh, Eastern Europe without Russian talent. I mean, okay, so Zabit is also 15-1. and one. So Zabit's 15-1. Islam Makachev is 15-1. and one. Uh, There's a few other guys that uh, their names are slipping my mind right now. Though, I just want everyone on notice. And I want everyone to take what I say today very seriously. Dagestan is going to take over the UFC one weight class at a time. You know, you have Zabit at the lower weights, you got Islam Makachev who could go up, could go down. I looking at looking at his body type, he should probably go up to 170. He is let's see here. He's not a very tall guy, so maybe he should stay at 155. Though in any event, the guy's a beast and uh he, Everyone should be on notice for any fighter coming out of Dagestan. They are terrifying. Uh, another fight that I thought was interesting, I feel like people forgot about uh, the Hulk, Kutilaba. I mean, this guy's coming out of Moldova talking about another European market. One of my good friends, Mircha uh, Orheyan, he's from Moldova. Um, for those of you that don't know, Moldova is a country that borders Romania and Ukraine. So just to get a geographical understanding of where Moldova is. Uh, you've got uh, Hungary, Romania, Moldova, Ukraine, Russia, uh, north of that. So that's where Moldova fits in. Uh, Moldovans, they primarily speak Romanian. Uh, and from what I know, from what my friend has told me, who was born and raised in Moldova, 
he uh, told me it's pretty fucking intense out there. And, uh, you know, just like a lot of those Eastern European countries, you don't survive uh, the same way that you do in the U.S. You know, we got it made out here uh, and and they don't out there. Not to say that it's all poverty or anything like that. It's not a third world country by any stretch of the imagination, though. uh Look at Kutilaba. Does the guy look like he's had an easy life? <laughs> he's fucking terrifying. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see him moving forward. I know, uh, I know that he had a little bit of issues with Dana and the UFC. I believe he was almost cut. Maybe he was cut at one point. I don't quite remember. Some time ago, though, uh, there were some contract issues with him, and I'm glad to see him back in fighting and, and getting the W because uh, he's fucking terrifying. The guy should have Nowitzki uh, uh, sniffing around, and we'll see what the future holds for him. He's 13-3, and three, and uh, he's one to be watched very closely. Now, moving on. I don't want to get too much into the Hernandez uh, Alban Mercier fight. Uh, Mercier had a lot of hype behind him. He's fighting in his home country. He didn't really put on the performance I thought he would. I thought he'd be more grappling, jujitsu focused, and he didn't do that. He went in there and tried to trade with Hernandez. Uh, he tried to take him down a couple times unsuccessfully, though it didn't really seem like he was too focused on getting a submission win which is what I predicted would happen. I thought he would take Hernandez down and choke him out in the second round, and he didn't do that. And Hernandez proved to be the younger, uh, crisper striker. Hernandez took a few risks that I didn't like. I don't think Hernandez is ready for a top 10 guy yet. Uh, according to the UFC website, he's ranked number 13 right now. And, uh, you know, We'll see. Hopefully they allow this kid to get a shot uh, in the near future, though his next fight I think should be somebody in the lower ranking. Somebody ranked, don't get me wrong, uh, he's number 13 right now, so if you gave him the number, I don't know who else is in that division that he could fight. Let's take a look. Uh, I would like to see him fighting, you know, somebody that is ranked, though, in the bottom 15, somebody between 15 and 11 and that division is murder's row i mean lightweight is terrifying you got khabib at the top connor ferguson poirier alvarez lee barbosa gaethje pettis iquinta vic diaz chiesa and then hernandez is number 13 so uh hooker's been murdering everybody uh, i don't think hooker has another fight scheduled he just fought uh let's see here yeah he just fought Gilbert Burns freaking a month ago uh, on the 7th of July. So maybe Hooker's looking for a fight soon. That would be fun. Other than that, I don't see he'll never get Nate. I don't know if Nate's going to fight Poirier or not, but he'll never get Nate. I don't think he's big enough to get Chiesa yet, and I don't think he's ready for Chiesa. So Hooker would be great. I would love to see him against Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker is murking people right now. I know Dan probably wants a, a bigger name, like maybe Pettis or Iaquinta, uh, though I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, for now, I like uh, the idea of him against somebody like uh, Hooker. 
And let's see, let's look at the rest of this card. So you got the return of the former champion, Yoani on Jacek against Tisha Tiny Tornado Torres. You know, Tisha Torres was one of my favorite fighters on her season of Tough. She was on the same season of Tough that the current champion, Rose Nama Yunus, was on. And Tisha was always a high-level competitor. You know, she didn't end up getting the... Uh, she didn't end up winning that season. Uh, she had a few great fights on that season, though she didn't end up winning that season. And... She still remained a top tier competitor, you know. She's been at the she's been knocking on the door for the number one contender spot for a while. Obviously, you got girls like Claudia Gadesia, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, uh, Jessica Andrade. You know, you have these other girls up there that if you can't beat them, you'll never get that title shot. And Joanna was the champ for what three years, so. For Tisha to get this shot, this was her chance. This was her chance to get a shot at the title. And uh, she didn't seem to have that sense of urgency. You know, Ioana was definitely landing more. Uh, Ioana's Muay Thai is second to none in, uh, I think, in, in all of women's MMA. Maybe all of mixed martial arts. When she's on, obviously you got Jose Aldo. I would consider Edson Barboza maybe more of a kickboxer. Though, as far as Muay Thai goes, I mean, is there a better Muay Thai uh, martial artist in the UFC than Joanna? When Joanna's on. I wouldn't say this performance was her best. I mean, look at what she did to Carla Esparza. Uh, look at what she did to Claudia Gadeja twice. Look at what she did to Jessica Andrade. I mean, Joanna Janjacek, to me, is still champ level as far as her striking her takedown defense it was her mental game that messed her up you know she got clipped everybody gets clipped she got clipped by rose in that first fight and you know it messed with her mentally and she couldn't accept she couldn't accept the fact that she lost you know rose was the better woman that night and uh, she went into that second fight with that chip on her shoulder and she did better for sure and uh, i did have her winning by a small small margin though to me that could have just been bias, and uh, I'll admit that. Though she looked great against Tisha, she did enough to win. Uh, I feel like she could have put Tisha away. Uh, if this was a five-round fight, I think she would have put Tisha away. Tisha seemed desperate, though she wasn't. It's weird when a fighter is desperate, yet they don't have the killer instinct. Usually they go hand-in-hand. Hand. When a fighter's desperate, they're going for the kill. They know they need a, they know they need a finish. And uh, Tisha seemed desperate, though she didn't seem like she was desperate for the win. She felt like... It felt like she was maybe desperate to get a takedown, uh, desperate to find a way to, you know, try to nullify Joanna's Muay Thai, and it wasn't working. It just it, it looked it looked sloppy uh, going into that third round, and Joanna just, you know, she stayed she kept her range. Joanna is just very tall for that division, long for that division, and. Uh, it showed in that fight. I'm glad to see Ioana back on top, and I hope she gets another shot at the champ. Uh, I'm glad the second fight was a close decision because had she been knocked out in the second fight, she'd be in that so-called uh, title contender purgatory that a lot of fighters find themselves in, like uh, Jose Aldo against Max Holloway. And uh, you know, you, you don't want to see fighters get get caught up in that. It's it's not it's not a place that you want to be, especially when you were the reigning defending champ you know one of the most dominant women of the sport moving forward 
So I was in Fort Lauderdale when this fight went down. And thank Christ this was a fight night because I'm cheap and I don't pay for pay-per-view cards unless JC and I do a uh, you know fight companion style podcast or something like that in the future where uh, we record uh, ourselves reacting to the pay-per-view. I also happen to be flying so often that most of the time I'm in the air. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in flight during the pay-per-view, so there's no way for me to even watch them, even if I wanted to. In any event, I was in Fort Lauderdale in my hotel on the 12th floor on the balcony screaming when this fucking fight started because Jose Aldo is one of my favorites of all time. Before Conor McGregor knocked him out and took his title, I consider Jose Aldo the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. You can say Anderson Silva. You can say George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre is my pound for pound great. Though the way Jose would beat people, the way Jose beat Uriah Faber, the way Jose beat Cub Swanson in WC, the way Jose beat every fucking body for, what, 10 years straight is, uh, it was a sight to behold. And the man is, what, 31 now? I mean, he's... He's, you would think that after all these years of fighting, Jose was 45 years old. Not to say he looks it, though he's been fighting for so long. You would think that Jose was an old, old man. And he's not. Jose Aldo is still at the fucking top. He's still knocking on that fucking door. And he deserves a shot at that title. Now, it's tough because Max is out. I know Max just did an interview with Hawani. Finally talking about his mental state, physical state. Haven't had a chance to watch it yet, though I will. And I don't, here's the thing. I don't wish Max to stay. I don't want Max to prolong his return. Though Max not coming right back in is bad for the UFC and bad for the featherweight division. If we have a Connor situation where the belt's just out there, a Woodley situation where the belt's just out there, and you got guys like Jose wanting his belt back. Um, you got guys like Ortega deserving the fucking title shot. Jesus, that kid deserves the title shot tonight. I fucking love, love Brian Ortega and what he's done in the featherweight division is fucking incredible in such a short amount of time. I have aspiration. Once I move to San Diego, uh, I'm going to start training jiu-jitsu at Gracie Baja and I was actually considering going to the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy uh, with Henner Gracie and Brian Ortega over in Torrance, Los Angeles. I'm actually still considering it, uh, considering I live in L.A. and I work in the aviation industry. I can always just jump on a plane or fly out there at no cost. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really considering that. Though in any event, what Henner Gracie has done with Brian Ortega from the point that he was, I believe, a teenager being mentored by... Uh, uh, Henner Gracie, you know, so Henner is a mentor. He, he's, he's almost like a father figure to Brian Ortega, and it shows. If you've ever seen Brian Ortega's interviews on Fighter and the Kid, Big Brown Breakdown, uh, Below the Belt, it's now called, you know, Brian Ortega's a stand-up guy, been through a lot as a child, and holy shit, is that kid talented, uh, uh, great on the mic, he does foundations. I mean, he's, he's what the UFC needs, and it's almost like he was built from scratch, to be champion. It really is. So 
he deserves a title shot next. And I want to see him against Jose Aldo because if Max is going to be out, let's do Jose Aldo versus uh, Brian Ortega for the featherweight championship. If anybody fucking utters interim, I'm going to spinning Vitor wheel kick them in the forehead. Don't give me that interim bullshit. No. If Max is indefinitely out for a stretch of time, let's say four to six months, let's get this Jose Aldo, uh, Brian Ortega fight scheduled because Ortega is fresh. You know, he didn't fight. Max had to pull out. Jose Aldo wasn't hurt in the fight. He might have got clipped a little bit, so maybe UFC protocol, he has to take two or three months off. Though, he's ready to go. Uh, Aldo looked fucking phenomenal. I was on the balcony of the 12th floor of my hotel, the Fort Lauderdale Hotel uh, where I stay is right on the marina, and I was screaming so loud, there were boats in the distance Honk or uh, uh, you know, hitting their horns. Uh, uh, I don't know if they were watching the fights too or what, but I was screaming, screaming, let's go, let's go, Aldo. Like, I couldn't wait for him to come back and to see him in tears and to see him, you know, reclaim his glory. Man, that fucking touched me, man. I'm a sentimental guy, and uh, to see Jose Aldo come back from that, man, I'm gonna shed a tear myself. I mean, look at the guy's fucking record, he's 26 and 4. I mean, he lost to Connor. Yeah, he got clipped. He had an early loss in his career that nobody gives a fuck about. And obviously, he got knocked out by one of the greats. Don't get me wrong. Max Holloway is fucking phenom. Uh, you know, he got knocked out twice by Max Holloway. Though to see Jose Aldo come back, fuck. I, I mean, seeing Joanna come back had me hyped. To see Jose come back in the same night on a free fight in Calgary... I mean, Dana White, what the fuck? Can we do this every month? Can it be your birthday every month? Free cards stacked at the top. For me, fuck the super fight era. I don't care about that. What I do care about is fights that mean something. Fights that mean something for the division. I want to get my blood moving. I need these fights to be important again. You know, I don't want to sit there and think to myself, oh, this is a money fight. This is a cash grab. This is a super fight. Fuck that. I don't care about the CM Punks of the world. You know, I don't I don't care about the Brock Lesnar's of the world. Um, I just don't. And, and, and this card was all about fights that mean something. And Jose Aldo fucking means something to the UFC and to the mixed martial arts community. And I know the rest of... The mixed martial arts community on Twitter, you know, shout out to Phil the MMA dude, shout out to uh, McNally MMA, shout out to Ashley the MMA nerd. Um, you know, I could go on and on and on. My favorite uh, people to follow on Twitter and interact with. You know, there's a strong community on Twitter that I'm involved in, and shout out to all you guys. I fucking love. Uh, go out, go and check out hashtag MMA community and follow everybody on that shit. You know follow everybody that I'm following on Twitter they're all fucking amazing and we all support the the sport equally moving on to the main event like I fucking said Dustin the Diamond Poirier is the guy to watch out for he's got a crisp left hand you know a lot of fighters have had issues look at the issues that Eddie had with Connor another strong 
uh, southpaw striker. You know, Dustin Poirier is a fucking gritty motherfucker. You know, first glance, he kind of looks like a pretty boy. Kind of looks like a guy that's like, uh, you know, way, way, way too into his fashion, maybe. Way too into his look. Then you watch his fights with Justin Gaethje. The first time with Eddie Alvarez. Even his fight that he lost against Michael Johnson. You know, Dustin Poirier is a fucking murderer. Dustin Poirier is a fucking straight killer. I mean, you know, what he's been able to do. I mean, let's look at his wins for a second. I'm not going to pretend like I know his whole record off the top of my head. Uh, You know, first round KO of Bobby Green. Uh, Decision went over a straight up savage like Jim Miller. You know, third round KO over the former champ, Anthony Pettis. Fourth round KO over Justin straight up zombie Gaethje. Uh, uh, Second round KO over uh, Eddie Alvarez after that bullshit no contest. You know, I've been telling you fucking guys, man, I'm not playing games. Dustin Poirier is the future champ. I know the waters are murky at lightweight. I know it's going to be tough. Though Dustin fucking Poirier is going to be the champ. I'm telling you, mark my words right now, he's going to be champ. Now, Eddie Alvarez, I just feel like his style is 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 not evolving. His style has not evolved in quite some time. It's it's why he got pieced up so badly and embarrassed, quite honestly, by Connor. You know, it's why he's always so bloodied up and beaten up in his fights. You know, him, fighters like him and uh, Robbie Lawler are not going to be champion again. They're just not. That style is gone, man. And if you don't evolve, you're going to fall to the wayside. I, you know, a lot of people talk about Eddie Alvarez going to Bellator. Maybe, you know, if he loses his next few fights, he'd have to lose three or four in a row. And I don't know what kind of contract he has with the UFC right now, how many fights he has left on his contract, though. I mean, out of his last five, you know, he had performance of the night beating um, Rafael Dos Anjos to get the belt, getting that KO in the first round. He lost his belt immediately after to Connor. He had the no contest uh, against Dustin. Uh... He had a war against Justin Gaethje that definitely put some MMA miles on him. Those MMA miles are real long, you know. Look at a guy like Vitor and how many years he fought. And look at the damage that's done to him. Look at Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. Those guys are not going to be the same when they hit the age of 50. Uh, You know, and then he just lost to Dustin. So, you know, there's no argument to have him go to Bellator now, he'd have to at least get three losses in a row, I would wager. Though it's kind of dependent upon his uh, dependent upon his record, uh, or rather his contract. It's dependent upon his contract. Though I don't even want to talk about Eddie. Eddie put on a good fight, minus the first cage grab, the second cage grab, the fingers in the ear, the twelve to six elbow. I mean, the guy committed a number of infractions. One or two fence grabs, unintentional, you know, instinct tells you to grab the cage or you're maybe trying to get your hand down on the mat so you don't go down on your head and you accidentally grab the cage. That's different. Fingers in the ear is some bullshit. One of my good friends is a high-level wrestler and they do that shit all the time. He's done that shit to me when we were grappling 
And I know that's something that they fucking do if they can get away with it. And it's something that it transfers over to mixed martial arts. And I'm not fucking cool with it. So fuck him for doing that. Uh, fuck him for denying it and trying to say that Dustin Poirier only won because the fight was stood up. It's bullshit. Uh, Mark Goddard, you did a fucking amazing job. You're top tier ref. And uh, Eddie Alvarez is just looking for an excuse. And the Underground King should remain underground because Dustin Poirier is on top. Uh, uh, he's going to be champ, no doubt. You know, so UFC UFC Calgary, man, fuck, this, this card, I wish every fucking card was like this. Like I said, it fucking meant something. UFC Calgary meant something. And a lot of cards nowadays don't mean anything, you know. UFC 227 was last night, and it meant something. Don't get me wrong. It definitely meant something for TJ and Cody. You know, the Dillashaw versus Garbrandt beef is up there with the best of them. You know, it's up there with Jones, Cormier, Silva, Sonnen. It's going to go down in history. Uh, and I was excited for that fight, though I didn't give a fuck about that card. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't give a fuck about that card. I really, really didn't. And um, we'll see. We'll see uh, how the results play. UFC 227 just simply didn't do it for me. Even if Gustafson versus Volkan would have been on this card, honestly, compared to UFC Calgary, it didn't mean as much, you know? I don't want to go back in and, and, and touch on how much it meant to Jose Aldo and Ioane on Jacek uh, and Dustin Poirier to get those wins, though I do want to touch on the fact that there needs to be a semblance of meaning to every single card from this point on because now not only do the MMA enthusiasts and purists and hardcores like myself expect to have that feeling of a card that means something for every single card moving forward. Now the casuals have a taste for that. Now the casuals got to watch Jose Aldo claim his glory after losing his belt and being KO'd and embarrassed on a world tour against Conor McGregor, one of the greatest of all time, when he was formerly known as one of the greatest of all time, then suffer two knockout losses to Max Holloway, and that's all that people knew of him. These casual fans, that's all they knew of him. They didn't even realize that in the meantime, he put on, he put on a clinical performance against Frankie Edgar at UFC 200. Nobody remembers that. Definitely not the casuals. I remember it. JC remembers it. Though the casuals don't know that. So, you know, for the major fan base out there, that is, or for the large fan base out there, the people that are just watching because they love fighting, because they love the spectacle or the celebrity aspect to it, because they've seen some bullshit on TMZ, no matter what draws people to mixed martial arts, it's a positive. I need more people. We all need more people to watch mixed martial arts. The sport growing is a positive for everybody. It's a positive for me and my podcast. It's a positive for Dana White. It's a positive for all the fighters. The sport needs to grow. And one major issue I want to touch on really quickly is, you know, a lot of people talk about fighters' dedication to the sport and fighters like Cowboy who don't know when to quit, fighters like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz who are coming back to fight when they're, you know, in their 40s after neck surgeries and back surgeries and, you know, taking major, major risks 
yes, for financial reasons, of course, you know, it's it's worth the money to them. Though there's a mindset that once you're a fighter, you're always a fighter, and once you're not a fighter, who are you? You know, it's reason why BJ Penn fought until he was KO'd by Yair Rodriguez. It's the reason why Chuck Liddell continued on that losing streak before he just suffered his final KO and, and Dana had enough. You know, now looking at some of these fighters, it's just really sad. I don't really want to see any of it, you know. I, I don't. JC and I <laughs> talked about the idea of Chuck Tito. I don't know what kind of back alley boondock organization is going to allow them to fight and in what state because I don't know what commission is going to okay those two to fight. All respect to them, though they are well past their prime and neurologically they're not fit to be taking strikes to the head. So that's another reason why we need the sport to grow because we need pension programs for these guys and girls. We need retirement plans for them. You know, not everybody is as smart as Kenny Florian and gets out of the game early and becomes a reporter, announcer, you know, um, entertainment guy. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is going to get out of the game and find this new career path and be successful to the point where they can take care of their children and their wife and their family and their friends. And, you know, not everybody can support the life they were formerly living as a fighter when they're no longer a fighter. I mean, Look at Michael Bisbing. Did Michael Bisbing need to take that last fight and risk getting knocked out the way that he did? No, he didn't. Though he did because he's a fucking fighter. And, you know, you got to protect these guys and girls from themselves. And, uh, you know, with, with growth comes more support, comes more programs to help them afterwards. And it's just sad that you see the people at the top making all this money and they're not sharing the wealth. They have the... UFC Performance Institute and things of that nature, though, to be honest with you, it's not much different than a veteran. You know, you have these war veterans out there that have suffered mental and physical injury, and yet there are minimal resources and funds being sent for, you know, veteran hospitals. There are minimum resources to provide former veterans with, you know, appropriate uh, employment when they are... Uh, when they're no longer in the military, you know, when they're discharged, you know, I just, it really bothers me. And I, I love every fighter in there. I, I can't say that I'm a fan of every fighter, right? Because I don't know enough about every fighter. Nobody does. Though what I can say is that I support and respect every fighter, every real fighter. Not every guy and girl that just goes in thinking they're going to get a paycheck and you know who you are. I don't respect those people. I respect the people that hit the gym six days a week for months on end, away from their family, away from their friends, broke, hungry, tired, yet always dedicated. And it shows. It shows when they step into that octagon, when they step into that cage, it shows. And it's important, you know? And and it shows in the real stars. And uh, there were a few. There were a few real stars, and there were even there were even more potential stars at UFC 227. I will give UFC 227 credit. Looking at the Fight Pass early prelims, uh, I didn't watch all of these fights, so 
I didn't watch the Marlon Vera fight. Uh, I did not watch the uh, Zhang fight, though I did watch the Perez Torres fight. And uh, Jose Shorty Torres is a guy that I shouted out on Twitter, a guy that I felt like was going to step into the UFC and make some changes at this division. I felt like this guy had a lot of promise, and he does. Though he showed how green he was when it comes to high-level striking in this matchup, and he got desperate. He kind of showed a lot of the old style when he went in there, you know, styles that Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Robbie Lawler, these guys are still implementing, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore, you know. He came in there slinging, and he's got a hell of a chin. This kid, Alex Perez, landed 104 strikes in the first round. Again, 104 strikes out of 170, 62% accuracy. And out of those 104 total strikes, 104 of them are listed as significant. And, uh, you know, not to knock Jose Shorty Torres, this fight is one of those fights that he should have lost. And I don't mean on paper. I mean for the sake of his career. You never want to be the guy or girl that comes into the UFC undefeated or on some crazy win streak and continues on that crazy win streak without some sort of either really, really difficult fight where you get rocked and you recover or a straight-up loss. You know, you look at the losses. Look at the loss that Poirier had against Connor. Look at the loss that Holloway had against Connor. Look at the win streaks they went on after that. Look at, you know, what DC has done since forgetting about John Jones. Look at what many fighters have done throughout the history of mixed martial arts after a loss. After a loss, sometimes is way more important than after a win, even if it's a win to get you the title. Losing can be the most important step of your career, and uh, we're going to see a lot more of Shorty Torres in the future. This guy's not going anywhere. They need more guys at this division. You know, I just feel like he's one of those guys that is going to learn from this, He's going to sharpen up his striking defense, and he's going to come back strong. And, you know, he'll he'll have another testing fight. He'll have another tough fight. But he'll pull it out. He'll go on a win streak, and he'll, he'll be a name. He's already a name, and uh, that could have played into why he came in there. Maybe a little nervous. You know, this was only his second fight. His first fight was a little rough, too. He ended up getting the W, getting the stoppage, though— Good fight for him. Uh, I, I don't. I don't knock him for getting KO'd in the first round. Honestly, I feel like it's if he's gonna lose, it's best case scenario. He goes in there, he gets a little, uh, he gets a little overzealous, and 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 he gets a little sloppy, and it, and it showed. Though it's a good thing. I feel like we're gonna see a lot of positivity and a lot of uh, success in his future. Now moving on to the uh, undercard that was on Fox. Again, I didn't get to watch a lot of these fights. I actually stayed up. I was in Newark um, last night, and I stayed up until 4.30 in the morning uh, to watch the fights uh, illegally. Uh, stream them illegally because I'm not paying for this damn card. And uh, I watched 
a few. I actually started with the main event, which is pretty rare for me. So, you know, I didn't see the sales Marais fight. I heard it was really good. Uh, I didn't see the Ramos Kang fight. I watched some clips from the Simone Jackson fight. I'll watch that later. Uh, and I did not watch the Munoz uh, Johns fight. I like Pikey. I like Brett uh, Johns Pikey. He he's a. Uh, I like this guy. Something about him. He's 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 got that grit. Uh, he's got this kind of olden swagger about him. I don't know what it is about the Pikey. Maybe it's a Wales thing. Though something about that guy, man, he 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 reminds me of like medieval times. Like he reminds me of like a side character on Game of Thrones that nobody can kill, and and he's kind of popping up in every other episode and uh, just wrecking shop. And he's an interesting dude. I like Pikey though. He lost by decision. I didn't get a chance to watch that fight. Moving on to the main card, I heard a lot of buzz about Holland. You know, Dana White in the post-fight press conference, praised Holland, even though he lost. You know, he stepped up. Apparently, he stepped up on two weeks' notice. He was one of the guys that won on the Contender Series of last season. And because he was talking so much throughout the fight and after the fight, Dana didn't sign him. Dana admitted that in the post-fight press conference. And apparently, he talked a lot of shit this time, too. Though he put on a good performance against a straight-up killer uh, in Tiago Santos. And Kevin Holland really, apparently, again, I haven't seen the fight. Apologize. I really apologize, guys. I I swear if I had more time, I definitely would have watched these fights. Though, you know, a lot of these are decision fights. I, I 100% do not have 25 minutes, uh, well, rather 15 minutes to watch these three-round fights. 25 minutes to watch any you know, main event decision, you know, I didn't get to watch the entire Johnson Cejudo fight. And literally, as soon as I land, I get to recording this podcast. Uh, I recorded actually the first half in Newark, and now I'm recording the second half in LA. So apologize, guys, I didn't get to watch the Holland fight. I'll give my, uh, I'll give my two cents on Twitter, they'll go follow me on Twitter. And if you're interested in my take on it, I will give a detailed Take on that fight. Uh, I didn't watch the Vienna Aldrich fight. Looks like it ended in decision again. I don't have time. I don't have time to watch these fights that are going to decision unless Twitter is ranting and raving about these fights. You know, I, I don't. I don't have time to watch them. You know, I apologize. Moving on to Cub Swanson Moicano, man. Moicano is just. I did watch this fight. Moicano is just. I don't know what it is about this guy, man. He seems... He doesn't look like a power puncher. But it may be his range. You know, he's 29 years old. You know, fighting at 45, fighting at 145 at featherweight, you don't have a lot of hard hitters. I mean, you got old school Connor. You got Jose Aldo, but he wasn't really a power puncher. He was more of a power kicker. Really not anybody. You could argue Jeremy Stevens hits pretty fucking hard, but apparently Aldo hits harder. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about this guy, man. You watch that jab that he landed on Cub, and holy shit, he knocked him halfway across the fucking canvas, and Cub Swanson, maybe it's the fucking mustache, but Cub Swanson can take a punch. 
I mean, I was live. I was in Atlantic City, which is very close to where I grew up, at a venue where I actually used to work. I used to be a security supervisor at the Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which is where UFC Atlantic City, Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson, uh, Edson Barboza versus Kevin Lee. That's where that card was held. I watched that fight live, and Frankie was landing some shots. Now, Frankie's not a one-shot KO artist. He's a pretty small guy. He could easily fight at bantamweight, though he definitely hits hard. I mean, I wouldn't want Cub Swanson running up and swinging on me, and I'm damn near 200 pounds, six foot. So, you know, I, I, I look at this fight, and I think, I don't think Cub Swanson's slowing down. I think his his fight miles are, are getting up there. You know, he's not that old. He's only 34. So, I don't know exactly what this misstep is. You know, let me look at his record really quickly. Let me pull up EOC.com. Oh, man, this is three in a row. Fuck. I would hate for him to get cut. Yeah, this is bad. You know, he got submitted by Ortega in the second round. He was actually winning that fight until he got submitted. You know, the fight that I saw live in April uh, in Atlantic City, he lost the decision to Frankie, and then now he just got submitted by Moicano in the first round. If I remember correctly, Cub actually has a history of losing via submission. He lost to Jens Pulver. He lost to Jens Pulver via submission. He lost to... Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to pull it up here. I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, so he lost to Jens Pulver via decision. I mean, granted, this was 2007. So this is a different cub. But he lost to Pulver via uh, via first-round submission. He lost to Ricardo Lamas via second-round submission. Uh... You know, he had that crazy flying knee KO loss to Jose. He went on a crazy win streak. Beat George Roop, Ross Pearson, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, Dennis Seaver, Jeremy Stevens. Holy shit. Knocking everybody out. Then he loses two fights. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, he got submitted by Frankie the first time they fought back in 2014. So a fair amount of his losses are by submission. So maybe he just never really trained his jiu-jitsu to the level that he should have. And, and that's the result. Though uh, I love Cub. He's always a fun fighter to watch. Entertaining guy. Seems like a good guy. Uh, a true mixed martial artist. Not a bad guy. Not a disrespectful guy. Dedicated to the sport. Definitely a veteran. And uh, I hope he bounces back for sure. Moving on to... Demetrius Johnson, Henry Cejudo. I mean, like I said, guys, I didn't watch the whole fight. I watched some clips. I watched some highlights, some clips. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I was going to say I watched a little bit more, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't even watch a full round. I'm going to say that I'm not going to say much because you know what? I didn't watch the whole fight. So what am I going to say? What I will say is this. Demetrius Johnson gets an immediate title shot. Here's why. He lost decision. Okay? Uh, I believe it was split decision? I'm not sure. In any event, he lost a decision. 
one of the most dominant, sorry, the most dominant champion of all time. And Henry Cejudo is a guy that's going to put on a good performance that second time around. Though I think Demetrius makes the necessary adjustments and he gets the win and we have a nice trilogy on our hands. I don't want to see Demetrius Johnson move up. He's already so small. I mean, you look at Henry Cejudo in that fight. He's the bigger guy by maybe 15 pounds. And that's a big deal at these lighter weights. I mean, 15 pounds at heavyweight is their big toe. <laughs> 15 pounds at, you know, these smaller weights, bantamweight, strawweight, flyweight, any fighter that's coming in heavy uh, is going to be an issue, especially a guy like Henry Cejudo who can cut weight just fine because he has that wrestling background. You know, he knows how to cut weight properly. So he could be walking around at 140, 150 and cut weight and bounce right back up. So he definitely is a bigger guy than Demetrius. And uh, he's going to come back to... He's going to give Demetrius Johnson a shot at his belt, which I respect. And I think Demetrius gets it done, and we have a nice trilogy on our hands. I'm excited to see that. Uh, I'm excited to go back and watch the fight, to be honest. I'm looking at the stats right now, and it looks like Demetrius landed more in general. Uh, obviously, Cejudo had those five takedowns. And to this day, we still don't know how judges score takedowns. What's important? Is it damage or takedowns? If I'm fighting somebody and I take them down 10 times in one round, though they knock me down with a big right hook and jump all over me, I'm bleeding, it's a whole mess, did I still win that round because I, I took them down 10 times? How does it work? So, again, I'm not going to talk too much about this card. I'm going to move on. And what I'm going to move on to, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to move on to TJ Thrillershaw. Killershaw, Dillashaw. I fucking told y'all. I don't know why anybody thinks that I make predictions based on uh, a crystal ball or some bullshit. I fucking told everybody. This kid is a better striker. He's a better striker than most people in the division. He's a better striker than most people in the UFC. And he's definitely a better striker than Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt comes from a very, very hard-nosed, you know, tough wrestling, boxing background. That shit doesn't win titles, period, period. You think Daniel Cormier made it by never training jiu-jitsu, by never training Muay Thai, by never training kickboxing? Fuck no. You think he was able to choke out Anthony Rumble Johnson twice? Because he never trained jiu-jitsu? No, it's because he has trained it. These fighters that think boxing and wrestling is going to get them a title shot and is going to get them to the top, you're fucking mistaken. I don't want to get it twisted. Cody Garbrandt is an amazing fighter. He's an amazing fighter, though his skill set is limited. And it's limited, I'm not going to blame his whole camp, though it's limited by the people that are just not pushing him. You know, it's why TJ left. TJ wasn't being pushed. You think TJ was the striker that he is now when he was back at Team Alpha Male? Fuck no. TJ is the striker he is now because of Dwayne Bang Ludwig. Because of Bang Muay Thai. It's called Bang Muay Thai for a reason. Go watch Dwayne Ludwig's old MMA fights and Muay Thai fights. That guy is fucking legit. TJ Dillashaw is a fucking serpent. The way he just 
the way he attacked angles at Cody and the way that he snapped that fucking right hand out there, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of how Dustin Poirier stung Alvarez in their first fight. If you watch the highlights of their first fight when uh, Alvarez pushed forward with a big hook and Poirier blocked it with his hand, with his, I believe his left hand, I believe it was a right hook that came over the top. And Poirier blocked it with his left hand and stung that fucking right hand in there. Uh, or maybe it was a left hook blocked by the right hand and then Poirier stuck the left hand in there because Poirier is a southpaw. In any event, that's a very, very tough technique to master. And TJ, in my opinion, has it mastered. TJ is one of the best strikers in the UFC, in my opinion. You look at how he sets things up from the very beginning. I believe his first strike in this fight was a leg kick. How he sets things up and finds his range with the leg kick. And then he keeps his hands low and his head low, just like a sneak. Just moving back and forth. Just kind of hypnotizing you into thinking that there's a strike open. And as soon as you throw, he stings you. As soon as you throw, he strikes. And that's it. I mean, once this guy gets, once this guy hits you, it's like, I mean, I love that, that, that Cody blessed us with this nickname because it fits perfectly, and I love that TJ owns it because it's just like a snake. They only need, they only need to hit you once. Once that venom goes in your system, it's only a matter of time before it's over, and that's what happened to Cody. All respect to Cody. He's definitely a top five guy at bantamweight. I look forward to seeing him fight again. I hope that it's against, I don't know. I mean, he's lost two in a row, so he's definitely not getting another title shot. I don't know who it'll be against. I don't know. Maybe Marais for some bullshit interim title or some garbage. I hope not. I hope Marais gets the shot against Dillashaw next, to be honest. Uh, I know Cejudo wants it, though. Wait in line, kid. It's not going to happen just yet. Just be glad you got the belt and relax. Uh, though, Cody Garbrandt, I knew it. I fucking knew it. The guy... People talk about being emotional and, and you know, having the emotional edge. And you know why they talk about that in regards to Cody? is because Cody had the emotional edge against Dominic Cruz. I hated that that was the truth because Dominic Cruz, to me, is one of the greatest of all time. He's my favorite bantamweight of all time. No disrespect to TJ. And he's one of the pioneers of the sport. Dominic Cruz allowed Cody to get in his head. Cody has never been in TJ's head. Not once. Not once. And it was pretty interesting how TJ went to go touch gloves. Herb Dean said, if you want to touch gloves, please do so now. TJ Dillashaw went to go touch gloves. Cody Garbrandt walked away. And when TJ smiled, I knew Cody was not in TJ's head. And TJ was definitely going to get this win. And he's going to do it early. I didn't know he was going to do it in the first round. I predicted he was going to do it inside of two. I didn't know it was going to be done in the first round, and holy shit, was it impressive. There's no doubt. There's no doubt anymore. I don't want to hear any more doubt. I don't want to hear any more fucking doubt. TJ Dillashaw is the real fucking deal. And JC, if you want to come at me, I know you love Cody. Let's talk about it, man. Let's talk about it. Hit me up. I just feel like there's really not much you can say about a guy like Dillashaw other than greatest bantamman of all time potentially I would love to see him back in there against Cruz I really would 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to wrap this up. There's a lot of MMA news I'm going to be talking about soon on Twitter. There's a lot going on right now with Conor Khabib and Woodley Till. There's a lot. I mean, I'm scrolling through Twitter right now, and it is mayhem. Derek Brunson, uh, Israel Adesanya, Nate Diaz, Poirier, potentially. Who knows if that's going to actually come together, knowing Nate. Uh, I mean, fuck, it is a good time to be a UFC fan. Follow me on Twitter. Follow Fight Stance Pod on Twitter. Follow my co-host, Fight Stance JC, on Twitter. And get involved. Get involved with our hashtags, MMA community, hashtag MMA community, hashtag what's your stance. Get involved on Twitter. Join the MMA community. You don't have to pay a fee or sign up. Just go on Twitter, find me, and send me a DM. Like one of my posts. Retweet that shit. That's all you got to do. The MMA community is welcoming. Uh, Please, if you do, reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, Don't be mad if I don't follow you right away. I can't be on Twitter every day. I promise I will follow you back if you follow me. And I'm just trying to grow. Uh, JC and I are just trying to grow our brand, grow our podcast, and subsequently grow the sport. I want to thank you guys for joining me today. I know I said I was going to do 20 to 25 minutes, though it took me 20 to 25 minutes to do my recap of UFC Calgary. So, of course, I had to take another 30 minutes or so to talk about UFC 227. I don't know who you are, whoever you're listening, whoever's listening out there. I don't know who you are, whoever you are. I love you. I just want to say I love you because uh, it's a big deal for me to have this podcast. And like I said earlier... Man, I rarely have any time to do this, and I love that I can find some time to do this. And anybody that's out there listening to me, anybody that made it this far and listened to an hour of me talk, I gotta love you. I don't have a fucking choice. And uh, I just want to say that the MMA community is strong. If you're a member of the MMA community already, let me know. Reach out to me. DM me. And uh, I'll see you guys on Twitter, and I will see you guys on the next episode of Flex's Fight Stance. Stay tuned for Fight Stance Podcast, and I will see you guys later. This is Fight Stance Flex, signing out.